Welcome to the I'm Still Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Whitlow. I've been reading and studying the Bible my entire life, but I still have a lot of questions, and I'm still learning what it means. Each episode, we will take a look at what the Bible has to say and what it means to us today. Today in episode 11, I am discussing the 10th commandment as part of the Ordered Life series. This week's teaching is called, Be Careful What You Wish For. In the Old Testament book of 1 Kings chapter 21, there is a story involving a king of Israel named Ahab. As king of Israel, Ahab had a lot of stuff. A palace, many people who catered to his every whim, great power to make things happen, and a well-dressed and devious wife who conspired with him. He should have been happy, but he wasn't. There was a small vineyard a short distance from his palace that belonged to a man named Naboth. As Ahab looked at all he possessed and controlled, he wasn't satisfied because there was something that he didn't have. Acquiring this little vineyard became his focus. He approached Naboth about the possibility of buying it or trading for it. Naboth wasn't interested because the vineyard had been in his family for generations. Naboth's attachment to his vineyard wasn't financial. It was a representation of his family's history and identity, so he could not put a price on a place that would just be another addition to Ahab's extensive land inventory. Well, Ahab was crushed. He was not used to someone telling him no, and he didn't know how to deal with it. He had wanted that vineyard, and he couldn't have it. Even though it was something that would have just been a convenience for Ahab, it crushed him, and he shut down. His wife Jezebel found him lying on his bed, refusing to eat. Well, she wasn't having it. Her attitude was, you're the king for Pete's sake. Are you going to let this nobody tell you no? Quit your pouting. I can get that vineyard for you. And she did. She devised a plan where Naboth would be falsely accused and executed on the spot. She carried it out, and sure enough, Ahab claimed the vineyard. This is a prime example of violating the Tenth Commandment. Let's look once again at Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17 tells us, You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So what is coveting? That's a word we don't hear much outside of a Bible study. Put simply, coveting is wanting something really badly. So is that wrong? Does this mean that we should not ever strive to gain something new or to work diligently to improve our situation? No, not at all. That's why this command doesn't just say, you must not covet. When I was a little boy, one year in vacation Bible school, we memorized the Ten Commandments. The teacher had a chart listing them, and they were abbreviated so that second and third graders could remember them. This Tenth Commandment was listed as, Thou shalt not covet. You know, we said thou shalt because the only translation we used back then was the old King James Bible. You know, to this day, most of the scriptures that I have memorized are memorized in the language of 1611, even though it's been years since I have used the King James Version. 
but I digress. Reducing this commandment to thou shalt not covet caused me some confusion. I would hear preachers say, I covet your prayers. I read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31 and saw, and remember, this is the King James Version, but covet earnestly the best gifts. So is coveting bad or is it good? Well, when you read the entire verse in its context, it becomes clear that wanting something really badly, my definition of coveting, is not wrong in and of itself. Coveting that violates this commandment is wanting something really badly that rightfully belongs to someone else and can only be had by causing damage to the rightful owner. Let's talk this through for a minute with an example. Your neighbor has a lawnmower that you really admire. You want that lawnmower. But he also likes his lawnmower and doesn't want to sell. You want it badly enough that you kill him and then go move the lawnmower from his house to yours. I think we can all agree that that would be wrong. But the commandment doesn't address the actions related to coveting. The commandment prohibits the very act of coveting what belongs to someone else. So let's revisit the lawnmower. The violation of this commandment doesn't happen when you act on your desire to obtain the thing. This commandment is violated when you begin to focus on your desire to have something that rightfully belongs to someone else and begin to devise schemes to get it. And coveting doesn't just have to be about objects like lawnmowers. We can covet someone else's social media audience, their industry recognition, their relationships they have, or even their opinion of us. In the Old Testament book of Esther, a man named Haman was second only to the king of Persia. He had real power and influence. When he would go down the street, everyone would bow in honor to him, and he loved it. But one man named Mordecai wouldn't bow, and it drove Haman crazy. He couldn't stand that this one person didn't give him the respect he thought he deserved, and he devised a plot to destroy Mordecai. The plan failed, and it destroyed Haman instead. Haman coveted the approval of Mordecai. But Mordecai wasn't disrespecting Haman. He was respecting God. So for Mordecai to bow to Haman would cause him to turn his back on God. Haman didn't care if it was going to hurt Mordecai. He didn't like seeing Mordecai standing while everyone else was bowing, and it became an obsession that ultimately destroyed him. In the New Testament book of James, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, we read, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So this is why coveting anything that belongs to your neighbor is prohibited by the Tenth Commandment. As with each of the previous commandments, this is not designed to control us or to inhibit our imagination. Rather, it recognizes that sin usually begins as an appreciation for something that turns into an unhealthy desire and results in an action that can result in the death of a relationship or reputation, a self-image, or even physical death. 
Rarely does anyone do anything life or reputation destroying on an impulse. It happens over time. It progresses from, hey, that's nice, to, I wonder what it would be like, to, I wonder how I could make this happen, which leads to, here's what I will do. And then that ultimately turns into, I'm doing it. And then it's too late. So this commandment protects us, and it makes it possible to live an ordered life. If we don't allow ourselves to dwell on the desire, the disaster won't happen. Earlier, I said coveting in and of itself isn't bad. So what kind of things should we covet? Well, I would say that we should covet values instead of things. And here are four values that every believer should covet as I bring this study to a close. First, we should all covet the opportunity to work. There is much satisfaction in learning a skill and working to support our family. I appreciate that there are programs in place to help someone in a crisis to have a safe place to rest and food to eat. But remember that these programs exist because people who take the opportunity to work fund these programs through contributions or taxes. Let us as believers never covet a lifestyle that looks to others to provide for us when we have the ability to work. 1 Timothy chapter 5 has quite a bit to say about our responsibilities in this regard. It says, But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So coveting the opportunity to be involved in gainful employment is an example of proper coveting. Secondly, we should all covet an opportunity to love and be loved. Humans were created to live in communities. In the creation story of Genesis, God declares that it is not good for us to be alone. We need other people to love, and we need other people to love us. And when we recognize God's love for us, it allows us to see other people as being just as important to God and as loved by God as we are. Then, we no longer see others as obstacles that are keeping us from getting what we want. Rather, we rejoice when others do well, and we mourn when others mourn. 1 John chapter 4 says it this way, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. Thirdly, we should all covet an opportunity to serve. When we love someone, we naturally want to do things for them. 
We want to help, protect, and bless those that we love. If we truly love God, we want to show Him that love in the way we live our lives and to please Him by doing things that bless Him. And how do we bless God? Through our actions, serving those who God loves. And who does God love? <laughs> Everyone. Second Peter Chapter 3 tells of a day of judgment that is coming when evil will be destroyed. But this is not happening so God can gleefully wipe out the bad guys. No, in verse 9 we are told, He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And who is supposed to let the world know that God wants them to escape this judgment? Well, it's us. We serve our loving Heavenly Father by representing His love to the world. And so we should be looking for, no, we should be coveting opportunities to serve God by serving other people, even those we don't like or who don't like us, with the love of Christ. And finally, we should covet an opportunity to give. God showed His love by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Jesus showed His love by living among us and willingly laying down His life for us. As believers, we acknowledge that all good things come from God and that we are just caretakers of what God has entrusted to us. Jesus talked a lot about giving. Giving of our finances and our time, using our talents to help others, and giving grace to others who don't deserve it is central to our faith in Christ. I don't apologize for encouraging people to give. It's both a spiritual discipline and a gateway to a joyful and ordered life. And so we have come to the end of the Ten Commandments. If you have made it to this point, I thank you for listening. But my hope is that you will see that these loving commandments are given to us to lead us to a wonderful, exciting, and joyful, ordered life. Thank you for listening to Episode 11 of the I'm Still Learning Podcast. Next week will be the final episode of the Ordered Life series. It is called The Greatest Commandment of Them All.